A very warm welcome to the first episode of the second season of the Agri-Food Comms Cast. I'm Catherine Lynch from Pinstone, and I'm back exploring the PR and marketing themes across the breadth of the food and farming industry. Today, we're talking about the role of social media influencers. Now, it's a fascinating topic that's no longer confined to big name celebrities. It's spread to niche business to consumer sectors, but is increasingly attracting larger scale B2C and B2B organisations that recognise the power of an influential voice on social channels. Later in the programme, I'm joined by Herefordshire farmer Ali Hunter-Blair, whose social profile has gained significant traction in the last year. But first up, sharing her insights into the role for influential social media voices is a fellow PR pro based just over the hills from us in rural Worcestershire. Welcome country and equestrian specialist Rhea Freeman. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So I know you're entrenched in the social media world of everything equestrian. And I think it would probably be fair to say that as those social media media platforms go in that arena they're fairly awash with social influencers. Yeah absolutely Um, I think what's interesting is that really anybody can be an influencer in terms of if you have influence over people you are essentially an influencer Uh, but what we we see quite a lot in the equestrian world is that these accounts can be people with a few thousand all the way up to people with tens and hundreds of thousands can and are used as influencers to help brands promote themselves better and to get in front of their target audience. Okay, so in representing organisations that want to get their name out with horse lovers, rural dwellers, um, etc., at uh, sort of what point in, I suppose, their, their marketing cycle does an influencer potentially come into play? Well, for some, it, it can actually be part of their launch strategy. It can be They've got a new product they want to get out there. They want to make sure it's being seen by a lot of people to start with. And it can be that they start to engage in influence really very, very early in their journey. Or for others, it might be that they want to get their product out there. They want to see their customers enjoying it and loving it. And then from that, they want to work with customers and have them essentially become the influencer moving forward because they know they really understand the product and that they really like it. Okay, so you've got social media brand ambassadors, you've got social media influencers. Just just talk to us a little bit more about how how they compare and contrast and what might be right for some and and what for others. Absolutely. So they are kind of linked, but usually what happens is with an influencer, you will perhaps get a one-off or you will be, you know, working on a very specific project which is is probably a bit more kind of time limited. But also it wouldn't be wrong for an influencer to work with similar brands. It might, I say that, it can appear quite strange. If One example would be if you're saying a pair of boots are the best thing since sliced bread and you've actually worked with that brand and you're you're being used as an influencer for a new design of boot, let's say. But then the next week you'll say, oh, but these boots are the best thing ever. If you're not a brand ambassador, you have generally got more flexibility to do things like that, depending on agreement and everything else because you're not connected to one company and with a brand ambassador usually that influencer is connected to that company for a a duration so you might say that your brand is a clothing brand and if that was the case and you were working with that influencer as a brand ambassador on an ongoing basis you wouldn't really expect to see them promoting other brands whilst they were still brand ambassador for you now that's very broad and clothing's actually a pretty rubbish example because obviously there's lots of different styles of clothing you know they might be a brand ambassador for some 
someone that makes sweatshirts, but that doesn't mean they can't work with somebody who makes amazing you know, technical wear or jackets or something like that. But usually you would then ensure that they ask permission if they wanted to keep that brand ambassadorship going. And also you might find that with a brand ambassador uh, relationship, you do have you know, a, a, a stricter list of criteria that you have to follow on a longer term basis. You might have um, a contract, again, that, that which would span a long amount of time in place. You would also have specific criteria if you are working with an influencer as well. But generally, the brand ambassador is a longer term relationship and there is usually some form of exclusivity there. And with an influencer, it's usually that you work with them on specific projects. So is it all about free stuff, Ria? Or, you know, you're talking contracts, you know, it's quite formal. I mean, what's the sort of, um, I guess, is a scale of these things as well? Yeah, and it varies. Some people I know are, are, you know, do work with contracts absolutely all the time. Others don't. I think it's important to think about what works better for your business. And obviously, you know, do get advice on it. I, you know, I'm not a solicitor, but it's definitely worth doing the research, particularly when there are large amounts of money involved. You know, if you if you're gifting products that are worth a large amount of money, you want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth. So it's a you, know, you get a good return on your investment. If it's a smaller item, it might not be quite as important, particularly if it's a one-off, but that's absolutely your decision to make. I think regardless whether you, whatever route you take, you do want to be clear on what's expected from both sides. You want to know what the influencer is expecting from you, and you should also make it clear what you're expecting from them, because what you may expect might not be something that they're willing to deliver, or they're able to deliver, or that they want to deliver, it could be that they're happy to do that if there's an additional fee attached and that will probably also depend a lot on the size of their following the value of the product and what you expect with it so the whole thing is a real sliding scale and people have got different views on it some people you know they they only expect to gift items they would never pay to have an influencer work with them and others are very happy to pay as long as they get that value back and they get really good content that they can use but I think definitely you've got to be very clear on what you're expecting because it's all too easy for people to become disgruntled and not feel like they've done well out of the deal and you do want to make sure that everybody feels like they they win when you collaborate with people absolutely so what what tend to be sort of the critic is it all about frequency of posting or or what are the sorts of negotiation factors if you sort of mean sure so Usually what it would be is it would look you'd probably look at the different platforms that the influence is active on and where they have the biggest following. And then ideally you'd work with them. So you would say, you know, if you've got into that conversation with them, you would say, you know, what do you think would work well for your audience? Because when you work with people who have built their own audience, you want to make sure that the the content that they're producing actually ties in with the kind of reason that those people are following that influencer. If you start being incredibly prescriptive in a way that actually is quite jarring, it's probably not going to do you particularly, you know, not going to do your brand any favours and it probably won't do their following any favours either. So I would definitely make sure you're working with the influencer, seeing what works well for them, what's worked well for them and their audience and other brands they've worked with in the past. Uh, And then, as you say, you do want to look and say, well, does that mean I'm going to get some posts on stories am I going to get a Facebook post am I going to get an Instagram post are you going to do a reel for me am I going to be on your YouTube blog and usually the price that you pay if you are going into the realm of paying will be connected to the amount of posts the kind of posts um, and if you're not paying it's it's still probably going to be connected to the, the 
the value of your product. You know, if you're giving them, I don't know, something worth three pounds and you're expecting to be featured on 10 stories and have an Instagram post and be on their vlog, that's a blooming tall order for three pounds because that influencer is still having to take the pictures, put the time in to share the pictures. And it's just not really in alignment, the value that they're getting versus what you're expecting. Okay, so um, I mean, what do you find is perhaps the the trick to that perfect match between a client and a social media influencer? What you know, how do you go about it, and and how do you uh, how do you achieve that? So I always suggest that the brands who are interested in working with anyone, they start to follow them. So follow them on their social media. Make sure you are keeping an eye on the kind of content they put out, the kind of language they use, and make sure it aligns with your brand. So if you are, you know, incredibly pro British beef and the account that you're thinking has got a big following is a really passionate vegan, for example, that's not going to work with you because your audience aren't going to, you know, you just don't match up. That's quite an extreme example given. I do appreciate that. But there's lots of things that you'll see in their content that you might think, oh, actually, that that's against my core values as a brand. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad person or that you are a bad person or you're right and they're wrong but you want to make sure that their audience if you're working with them their audience should have enough interest in what you're doing that you working with them helps to educate inform inspire them and encourage them to follow you find out more about what you're doing so follow the people that you're interested in and also engage on their content in a genuine and authentic way don't just put oh I love this jacket if you hate the jacket don't put that but you can still engage in a really genuine and authentic way. See if they respond. See the kind of way they respond. Watch their stories and just start to follow, learn about them and engage with them. Because you could well find that people that look really, really good on paper don't work for your brand because they just don't align with you. And that people that you are kind of thinking maybe really grow on you because they start to talk about things that are really important to you. But maybe they do that in stories and they, you know, maybe they also have a really good engagement rate because what they're saying people are really interested in and when people respond they respond back so it is really about doing the work because you don't want to be investing your time and energy and money potentially into someone that could even do some damage to your brand versus enhance and get it in front of more people have you got any sort of specific examples of you know you've you've outlined a few pitfalls there as to you know potentially what what can go wrong but if you've got anything that you've come across that you know is a a bit of a no-no I think that there's a lot of it's these really core values that do it so uh, I mentioned kind of veganism versus British meat that you just that's just not going to work shooting is a very contentious issue if you as a brand are pro shooting or you have shoots on your land and you're looking to work with somebody who is absolutely anti it that's not going to work um, hunting, fishing, wearing fur. It's its these issues that aren't kind of, oh, she prefers blue to red. Hmm, okay. Actually, the kind of things that people get very passionate about, they get very animated about, they can get very angry about. You don't want that to be connected to what you're doing. So it's those real core values that can really, really potentially cause quite big problems. So then on the other side of the coin, you know, obviously you're doing this day in, day out. Rhea so you're a believer that actually this can be hugely effective yeah it can be if you get the right people and those people are really passionate about your product and your values and they are promoting it well to their target audience that has got a lovely crossover with your target audience it can be very 
very effective. It can be very cost effective as well as, you know, really getting those conversions, getting those followers, getting that interest. And it can be a really nice way to educate people as well. If you work with the right influencers who are really passionate about what you do and have taken the time to understand it, to you know, not just to go, oh, great, I've got a free this or a free that, to sort of get under the skin of it, because that's going to come across in their content when they share it, because they just know and they really do like it. That's really important. I, I know when we were talking uh, earlier, Ria, you were sort of, it was almost the attention to detail of the, the nuances of how to use products or apply them or that that's what you can really really tell if you see what I mean yes yeah and with 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 equestrian obviously it's a really big thing if you've got somebody who is sat on a horse and it looks like they've never sat on a horse before and you're selling I don't know breeches or jobbers what the horse person sees is not really the breeches or the jobbers is that the person looks really really scared and I know this is obviously quite an extreme example but we pick up on these things. It's, you know, if you're holding a horse on a head collar and you've got the lead rope wrapped around your hand and you're gripping on and you can see your, the whites of your knuckles, it doesn't look like you're comfortable in that setting. And we don't want people's focus to be on the things that don't look quite right. It needs to be a really good fit. So potential pitfalls around, you know, big fans of a potential brand who aren't official influencers versus the influencer themselves. Can that cause tension? It absolutely can. And I think we've seen, I know I've personally seen a lot more of this towards the end of 2020, when there are people with pretty similar followings, perhaps one is getting given free things and one isn't. And what they're both fans and perhaps even one's a really, really loyal customer who's bought a lot of product and they get overlooked. It can really make that person feel quite bitter, but not even bitter, actually. That, that's the wrong word. Just unappreciated, I think. And again, I don't think it's so much that the other person's getting the free things. It's that they just feel like, why? You know, are they not the right shape, the right this, the right that? And it makes people question a lot more than you'd expect. And that can even turn people completely off a brand and make them look for others, which is obviously not the point of, of what you're doing at all. So I think it's really, really important to be aware of these people who are your flag wavers online, your customers. It doesn't mean you have to shower them in free gifts, but it wouldn't do any harm to send them a nice thank you note or, you know, when they place a big order, put a little freebie thank you in there. They might not be a good fit for you as an influencer because they might have a smaller following or they might just do it for fun or they might have a private account or there might be a number of reasons why they're not necessarily an influencer for you and it could be some of the reasons we talked about before in terms of you know their real passions and their core values don't line perfectly with your company but there's no reason why you shouldn't thank them and show that you really do value their support in terms of you know looking forward and into the future I mean it's still the whole world of influencers is um, certainly in some sectors still relatively embryonic but where, where do you think it's going I think that this year we're going to see brands be a lot more selective about who they work with because especially during the first lockdown I know a lot of the brands that I work with were really inundated with people asking for free stuff wanting to be a brand ambassador wanting to be an influencer and it was often the first time that that brand had even heard of that person so that was definitely a big no-no which was quite disturbing because as much as if a brand wants to work with an influencer they should be putting the time in if the influencer wants to work with a brand they should also be putting the time in and the effort in and showing that they're actually interested in the in the brand but I do think that brands will be a lot more selective over who they work with because a lot 
lot of their their customers are on these social media platforms and they've been working alongside them essentially growing these big followings talking about the products they love so I think they're going to have to be an awful lot more selective over who they work with but I think that when you do work with the right people it has got the opportunity to to really do amazing things on a pretty you know a pretty reasonable budget even when you're paying for an influencer the potential reach that you can get if you pick well for the money that you pay can potentially give a really really good return on investment and I know I'm saying potentially quite a lot but there's so many variables it's not just a this is a formula it'll definitely work this so many different aspects in it but it has got massive potential if managed and done really well sounds like uh, everything in pr it's uh, there's no exact science to it so. exactly exactly and and because you're working with people you know things can happen in their personal life that mean that something that should have gone absolutely brilliantly doesn't i mean gosh the last year or so i mean people that had great plans to do in-person events and meetups and things like that that's not gone well so there are so many variables along the way as you say you can have the best laid plans and something can just not work at the right time but potentially it's got huge value that's great well thank you so much for your time Ria there's some uh, super insight in that thank you so much no problem at all thank you for having me so that was the view from an equestrian PR perspective but what's the outlook from those who are working the land and sharing their stories across the social platforms. Ali Hunter-Blair is a Herefordshire farmer and also on our doorstep. Now, Ali, you've got a massive social following, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, well, yeah, it's definitely a following that has grown in the last 12 months, especially. Yeah, it wasn't very big this time last year and it's, well, I think it's increased by about 10,000 on Instagram. And um, yeah, it's amazing how the last 12 months, I think a lot of agricultural I hate the word influencer, but a lot of agricultural profiles have, have really soared. And it's quite interesting to see who does follow these sort of people. And I'm I'm wondering actually a little bit whether there's a bit of escapism from people that have been locked in for so long. Okay, that's interesting. So just, just put a few numbers behind sort of the outreach that uh, some of your posts can, can perhaps generate. Oh Christ! Um, there, was, uh, I think I think I'm sort of nearly fourteen thousand followers on Instagram, twelve and a half, thirteen on Twitter, and not very many on Facebook. Actually, it's amazing how you can't you can't be good at everything. I, I was I was always more popular. It's a horrible word, isn't it? But there was more. I had more followers on Twitter, and then Instagram's really taken over, um, mainly because I enjoy taking photos. And then there's always the dream of going viral, isn't there? So we, I posted, we, we launched a glamping project the other uh, last year, which was not a great time to launch it, but um, posted the thing on Facebook on its own page. And suddenly that had a reach of over half a million within three days, which was, which was mad, absolutely mad. And it had more shares. And then you suddenly realise that you're trying to make photos um, better than they are. And actually, <laughs> the whole, the whole um, viral thing is, is totally and utterly you can't actually create it it just happens or it doesn't happen and yeah that's that's the sort of followers we are reaching yeah okay so what what are you posting about in general and and what do you find perhaps really stimulates uh, engagement it's really just my farming life i mean it's a sugar coated version and i'm not apologetic about that uh, my, especially on instagram my view of instagram is that if i'm scrolling through i want just to be looking at nice pictures that i find that make me happy especially at the moment so that's what i post about um twitter i have i go through phases of loving and hating it sometimes i love it and i get quite engaged and other times i wish that i'd never signed up just because of i don't know 
that I've got, I've sort of got to a stage on Twitter now where if I post anything, there's always going to be somebody that disagrees with me. Even with photos of muck spreaders the other day, somebody told me that it was, if I was spreading muck that smelt, it was obviously going to be destroying the soil biology. And I was like, oh, okay. <sighs> right. So, um, so yeah, so I always just post whatever's going on, especially on stories and bits and bobs like that. It's trying to be current, I suppose. And if there's nothing interesting going on, I won't post. Although last year I got to a stage where I was getting stressed if I didn't have content, for want of a better word. And that's a really bad place to be. And something that actually this year I've decided to to make sure that if there's nothing to post, don't post anything. And that's really bad for engagement. And all the social media experts would tell me that's terrible. But I'm not here to be a social media experiment or an influencer or whatever it is. I'm here to just to showcase what we do on the farm and hopefully promote it to people that aren't necessarily within the agricultural industry. And that's what I find really important to not be preaching to the converted and actually just being able to have a conversation with people that aren't in the farming industry, because at the end of the day, they're our customers. Because mm, that was going to be my next question. You know, what's in it for you? Why get so involved? I'd love to be. I, I, I always wanted to be, especially when I was younger and had more energy. I always wanted to try and promote British agriculture and actually agriculture worldwide. You know, we're such a globalised world these days that we're always going to shout about British farming and British food production and rightfully so. But, you know, people can make informed decisions on where and where their food comes from. And I wanted to make sure that I wanted to be a voice to make sure that people had the opportunity to have a look at what happens on an arable farm in Herefordshire if they wanted to I suppose I don't want to force my opinion on anyone I don't have that many hugely controversial opinions and it was a case of yeah I, I started out by being like you know what this we're really lucky to be able to do what we do for a living and actually the last 12 months has made me feel that even more than ever before uh, we did online farm Sunday this year in, in June and I was walking around 500 acres of Herefordshire in the middle of lockdown with a phone showing people around my farm. And I think I even said it, it's like, this, just, this, this isn't lockdown. We are so, so fortunate to be able to do what we do and be able to wander around what we wander around that actually, if that makes somebody else smile or makes somebody else happy during the day, then I'm pretty content with that. And at that point, I didn't have huge, huge numbers of followers. So it was that's really what it was for. And then suddenly, as, as the numbers build up, companies start getting involved a bit and people start offering you stuff. Um, nothing very exciting, just clothing and bits and bobs. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not that proud. If, if, if someone wants to send me some clothes that I take a photo of, fine. And actually, I had a really good conversation with the marketing department of one of the companies. And they were saying, you know, we spend thousands and thousands and thousands a year on marketing. Uh, and PR and all that sort of stuff. And if we can send one influencer, again, for want of a better word, a jacket that has cost us however much to make, a couple of hundred quid, and it would be, it would be sold for a couple of hundred quid, and two people buy it, that's the best best marketing we could ever do. Yeah, um, yeah. But So you're not really taking it on as, uh, or have ambitions to become a, a professional influencer or, or anything of that kind? No, because I don't think I'm interesting enough, to be completely honest. I enjoy what I'm doing. And also, I was, I was doing a talk last night to um, a young farmers group, and they are, again, asking about the social media thing. And you start explaining about how anxiety for not being able to have something to post. And then you realise that you're talking to a group of 30, 40 young farmers, and you realise you're talking to real people at that point. And you go, this is the most ridiculous thing. I am, I am worried that I haven't got something to post to 13,000 people that I've never met 
that's that's not it's not healthy and it's something that actually really and actually last night it sort of cemented it in my mind that it's great to have a social media profile and I'm not an idiot it will open doors for me the tv stuff came about from the social media profile so it has opened doors for me and it probably could carry on and I enjoy doing it but definitely last year I got to a stage where I was worried that I didn't have things to post and that that meant my followers would go and that's that was something that I thought I was a fairly grounded, rounded individual. And actually, suddenly you realise that and go, OK, I've got not a, pro- not a problem. It's not an addiction. But yeah, you shouldn't be adding stress to your life from something that's totally optional. Mm, no, definitely. And, and, and I guess, you know, authenticity is a big thing. And those guys offering you the free jacket or whatever, from their point of view, they want to perhaps be associated or you wandering around in your or being seen in your Instagram photos you know wearing one of their jackets the fact that you are entirely authentic and you know your main stimulus is you know just wanting to show the world what goes on in in farming is all the more more appealing from their point of view yeah and I think that's that's a really really hard balance to to get right and I don't think I do get it right all the time I don't want to be gifted for or whatever it is, something that I wouldn't have A, bought myself or B, I'm not going to go shout about stuff that's crap. Sorry, excuse my language. But if it's if it's not good and I don't like it, then whatever, however it was given to me, I, I can't I can't then go and get somebody else to go spend their hard-earned money on something that I don't like myself. So I suppose there is that sort of authenticity about it. Um, and also that's I think that's why people follow me. I think people follow me because as much as the social media version of my farm is a rose tinted version because I like to post the pretty photos and I don't post the well I do post the flooding because it's quite interesting but I don't post the horrible the the bits where things have gone really really wrong unless it's slightly amusing because I suppose and I I genuinely think there is a bit of escapism about it from people that follow 12 months ago there was probably five or six agricultural influencers and now there would be there would be 40, 50 that I know of that have got over 10,000 followers. And that's all happened in the last year. And they can't all be the same people. So I think that there is now a sense of escapism to people being like, this year has been miserable. But actually seeing people wandering around a farm is is quite nice. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Can you kind of tell in advance if a post is going to really you know, set the world on fire or stimulate engagement? Have you, you know, do you get a sense of that before you post something? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, my, uh, the majority of my followers are, are, I don't know, I've never quite worked out. I've always wanted to do a poll, actually. I, I think I've got probably a 60-40 split, sort of farming, non-farming. Um, and anything to do with tractors usually gets a lot of likes. I've got a lot of people that like tractors. Anything with my face on it doesn't get very many because, well, it's my face. Um, and yeah, I sort of, I have a, a good idea. And actually, I take a lot of photos because I enjoy taking photos. The drone stuff always goes down really, really well. And that's, again, because there's something about, even though I've had a drone now for, goodness, two or eight years or something, it's still, seeing the farm from above is still a massive novelty. I think it's that sort of, that age-old, God, I wish I could fly type thing. Mm. Um, so that always does really, really well. Yeah, but then some things you post, and also, it's, and like I, I hate to try and get into that, but it is, it's all about time of day as well. Like if I post something at 10.30 at night, no one will really see it. You post something at 6.37, the whole world sees it. You can see that in sort of, you get obviously the analytics. 
you can see how many people have seen and and then liked and all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I have a, I have a pretty good understanding of what I should post, but yet I still want to be able to post whatever I like, I suppose. And that's something else that actually my Instagram on the old Android, it doesn't tell me how many likes I have got on anything until I really dig into it. And that's quite nice because I'm not there searching for likes like I used to be. Yeah, you don't want to sort of get so paranoid about it and it becomes an obsession, which isn't helping anyone, as, as you'd said. But clearly, it, it's a very powerful medium these days. I mean, you've just you've talked a couple of times about just literally in the last year or since lockdown that, you know, social voices have really come to the fore in the food and, and farming supply chain. And have you got any examples of what that power sort of looks like? I mean, for, for me, the so we filmed a TV series last year called Born Mucky, which I think you've spoken to Farmer Tom, he was on that too. They found us through social media, so that opened, so the power there was instant, I suppose, because they searched through profiles of farmers who had had a profile, I suppose, and were engaging and they create, I think they had a short, a long list of about a hundred farms that they created and then that gets shortlisted and then we all got cast and it, it whittled its way down to three. So that's an instant power for, for that. And then you have people, I don't know, you have people like Gareth Wynne-Jones and Jake Freestone and they have a huge audience and they are showcasing what they do on the farm and they also get you know the the highlights and um, Gareth has a, lot, has a lot more followers than I do and he gets the highlights of, of having deals with Honda or whoever that, that is and it's the same and, and he's very good and that's something that I really steer away from because I'm not a controversial person I steer away from any controversy on social media mainly because I haven't got the time or the energy to be arguing with people I'll stand up for what I believe in and I will occasionally post I don't know there was a couple of things that gone out recently that I disagreed with so I'll stand up and disagree with that but I will actively not post controversial material because I don't want to deal with the fallout from it and yeah I think that's that's something that is something that I've really learned about for example from the TV stuff is that we got the first TV stuff that we did the power that social media has to target an individual instantly is terrifying and the TV programs that we've done have been small fry compared to the proper jobs but the first time farmers back in 2012 went out to 1.1 million people and because of Twitter then Instagram wasn't so big but people could tell you that you were an idiot as it was going out and I struggled a lot with that back in when I was 25 and now I've got to a stage where I'm 33 and my life is I, I, I'm very lucky to have have a lovely life and actually have the ability to not care what people think and it's made me realize that not everyone is going to like you when I was 25 I couldn't understand why people didn't like me and that took a lot of getting used to and a, and a couple of very frank conversations from my wife telling me that does it matter that Fred 003 underscore John doesn't like you. And yeah, so that's that's I suppose that's more the dark side of social media as well, which I think is as important as as the good side is that it's it's very powerful and being able to access that many people instantly is amazing. But there are some horrible, horrible people out there who hide behind faceless profiles who can target you very, very quickly. 
Yeah, no, but that's a, that's a whole other conversation. That is, yeah, that's that's a whole podcast on its own. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, sort of going back to sort of the dare I say that word again, influencer part of it, and you know, if you were to be approached, like you said, whether it's thousands of pounds to be paid per post or whatever, or I, I suppose just being offered free stuff, you know, it's sort of part of that journey. And you know, I know in other sectors, there are influencers that have a rate card and they actually take much more of a professional approach to that. Um, you know, how, how do you sort of feel about that? I think I have to be sensible about it, to be honest. The reality is, is that I see it as much as I think it's it's very important to be authentic and I don't really want to change what I do on social media and people seem to enjoy it. I've got to be shrewd enough to realise that there is power in it and there's also money to be made from it. And I think uh, as long as you can separate the two, that, you know, this is very much and I'm very, I'm very for the fact that people have to put ads in their posts and have to put gifted or whatever, because that's important. As long as you can separate the fact that you are being paid to commercialize or advertise this product, service, whatever it is, and then you're going to do that post, you're going to do what you've been signed to do, and then you're going to go back to doing what you normally do, I think that's fine. And I think that's something that I would be stupid not to try and utilize more because from the farm point of view, we need to diversify to survive. We're doing that in farming ways, whether that be what we grow or what we do with glamping and bits and bobs. But also, it sounds horrific, and I think it sounds worse than the word influencer, but because of the social media, the brand is actually you. You are the brand. And that's something that I think we underestimate. I certainly underestimate how powerful that brand is because I just see myself as a farmer in Herefordshire that's trying to diversify and survive but actually having a social media profile means that Y Farm is my brand and the worst bit about Y Farm is I set it up years and years ago as a sort of play on words because I was having an argument with somebody on Twitter and I didn't want them to know my real name and now it's stuck and it's become my brand so yeah I'm not against being paid to do stuff and I'd be I'd be silly not to at the end of the day I'm a businessman I want to make money and if social media is going to bring me another medium to bring income into the farm and into the family then I would be an idiot not to use that. Absolutely and if an organisation can perceive there is value in you doing that like you say why should the organisation make the money and not you know from your point of view so I think it's uh it's good to be astute and like you say as long as you're going into it with your eyes open that's uh, that's what's important yeah and i think that's the thing with social media and the the marketing of it is that companies well you know much more about it than i do but companies can spend thousands and thousands of pounds on an advert that goes into a paper or goes online or goes on tv or whatever it is and of the however many x people see see that advert only another x percentage will actually ever even be interested in the product whereas you know companies with their PR departments are very clever they they choose influencers that know that they're you know sort of of say my 13,000 influencers if, if I get a jacket from somebody that is a farm farm worthy jacket they know that of my 13,000 followers 10,000 of them are probably farming background and would be interested in a jacket so they sort of get metrics and you know these companies and the PR departments behind them are they're not stupid they've been doing a very very good job for a very long time admittedly in more traditional media types this is just the next step and if you can I mean for, from their point of view if you can target your ads at people without them knowing they're being targeted you're onto a winner.
Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, we talk all the time at our business at Pinstone that, you know, you start off doing press releases or whatever, you move on to doing social media posts. It's all about getting a message out there. It's just you're using a different format, a different channel to, to do that. And uh, the sort of the influencer route, you know, obviously that's got so much more powerful and commoditized to a degree and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the the years ahead to be honest. It's the longevity of it isn't it that's the interesting thing TV uh, YouTube I think will be around for a long time but Facebook was Facebook's gone off the radar a bit I suppose it's now really just for businesses will Instagram still be around Instagram is obviously I think the the biggest influencer zone at the moment along with with YouTube but you know, the money that's to be made off Instagram is is small fry unless you've got millions of followers. Will that still be here in 10 years time? I don't know. With a one year old daughter, I'm sort of hoping that it won't be, if I'm completely honest. It's a terrifying form of media. And my, my wife is a riding instructor. Some of the things that her 13, 12 year old girls that are posting on their their Instagram about their riding, like some of the, the stuff that gets targeted towards them. I am, again, hopeful that maybe Instagram or social media will be something that is a flash in the pan for 10 years and disappears. Sadly, I don't think it will be. No. Interesting. Oh, that's so many insights there, um, Ali. Thank you ever so much. I think we've covered a a lot of ground and um, it's sort of great to sort of hear it from the coalface of uh, sort of someone that's uh, sort of experiencing this, well, new phenomena, shall I say. So uh, thank thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. And that wraps up the episode. Thanks to my guests, Rhea Freeman and Ali Hunter-Blair. And thanks to our listeners. Do subscribe through any of the major podcast platforms and we'll see you again soon.